Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Turn around, mister. Two things are going to happen. First, that phone over there is going to ring. Second, you're going to be wearing these cuffs. <laughs> Who the hell are you? I'm the guy you didn't count on. 
Hello again, everyone. This is another edition of the Next Reels Film Board on Rashpixel.fm. Each and every month, our gang of thugs utilizes technology far beyond simple cell phones to gather together around a virtual table of nonsense and spoil a movie new to theaters because we most likely mistakenly thought it would have some relevance or interest to us or you or the world. On tonight's show, we get to debate the merits of Tom Cruise's participation involvement and bellwethering of a franchise last night the jack reacher sequel was released upon all of us heathens and frankly i cannot wait to get into it but so by way of introductions the gang's all here with some new titles for tonight and i'll explain them in just a bit but for now say hello to the reader pete wright no you're the puppet <laughs> the counter steve sarmento there's a 50 50 chance i'm gonna like this either i'll like it or i won't the wild card andy nelson because I'm wild. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and we have the insider, Tommy Handsome. So much running. I am JJ, and you can learn more about the film board and the show at thenextreel.com. Then you should subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, join us on YouTube, and then follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram at The Next Reel. And please rate us and review us and message us because we are a vibrant community of entertainment hounds and we like treats. So, Let's start out with everyone's initial thoughts, one at a time, and with a baseball bat, because that's how Jack would like it. Uh, Pete, I called you the reader <laughs> because you've read a number of these books, right? I have. I've read a number of them. So how did this film stack uh, up for you? You know what? This is, in, in terms of the series of books, and this is going to really bake Steve. This is going to just... He's lighting his hair on fire as I speak. In terms of the books, this is actually regarded as one of the better ones. Uh, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Out of 21 of them, I've read, I think, 16. Whoa. And I really like this character so much. So say what you will about the pulpiness of the books. I love Jack Reacher. I love this guy and what... what uh, Lee Child has built in this character. He is fun. He is empty calories, but he addresses something that's great uh, inside of me, and I have a great time reading him. So I really enjoyed the first movie. I thought that ad adaptation was great, and I think that this movie, uh, in that regard, when I take all of that in into uh, a consideration, uh, this movie was not good. <laughs> the Steve, I called you the counter because I thought you disagreed with Pete on the greatness of the source material. How do you feel? Do you agree with him about the movie? Well, let me say, one of the challenges of selecting a book series like Jack Reacher to adapt into films is selecting the right story to translate to the screen. This was not a story that needed to be told on the big screen. There was nothing in the execution of this film that really justified it being a film. I felt this really felt like an episode of maybe a pretty well-crafted TV espionage show. I just, the story just felt like a throwback to something from the 90s. There was nothing epic in scale. It didn't live up to just the highs of the first Jack Reacher. And I didn't know if that was the story because I haven't subjected myself to the other 20 or so novels to find out if there was a story that would make a better translation to the screen. But the book did not thrill me. The movie failed to impress me, but I will get into there are some changes that did work really well, and there are some that created some catastrophic problems in this film. I would like to highlight that Steve just said there were some things that worked well. Uh, I think I, I want to return to that at some point. Um, Andy, I, I called you the wild card because I have no idea how you feel about any of this. Because I'm wild. <laughs> So wild. <laughs> you know, I uh, I haven't read any of the books. I really, other than the first Jack Reacher film, 
really knew nothing about the uh, the franchise or the character. I know some people who were fans of the book were a little disappointed that Tom Cruise was cast to play Jack Reacher because they felt he was just not the right build, the not not the right type of person. I heard like Liam Neeson would have been the perfect Jack Reacher. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I enjoyed the first Jack Reacher. I did, did have some issues with that one. Um, I, you know, I went into this one not really knowing anything as to what uh, this one was going to be about. I ended up having a pretty pretty good time. I didn't find it uh, anything mind-blowing or anything like that. I didn't think it was quite as good as the first one, um, which, again, you know, was, uh, you know, a pretty fun film, but nothing uh, that blew my mind. Um, this one certainly had its share of problems, but in the end, I walked out still enjoying the characters and enjoying the story. Tommy, uh, uh, Tommy Handsome is the insider here because Tommy has multiple unique perspectives uh, from his work with Edswick and Marshall Herskowitz, uh, as well as some direct experience on a Tom Cruise franchise takeover uh, from Mission Impossible. What can you tell us here, Tom? Um, I can tell you, first of all, I really wanted to like this film. Uh, I'm a big fan of Mr. Zwick. I enjoyed working for him and Marshall and Mr. Herskovitz uh, for three years. Um, and I really liked the first movie, but unfortunately this movie really left me lacking pretty much in every single respect, unfortunately. Um, it's Mr. Zwick's first all out action film. And to me, it kind of felt that way. Uh, it felt like the way that we were directing things a little while ago, I kind of like um, what Steve said about it feeling kind of like a TV movie. Uh, maybe not all the way, but just the idea of the plotting and stuff was not what I was looking for. I get it. Um, Mr. Zwick and Mr. Herskovitz uh, really champion themselves. A, Mr. Zwick is really good at bigger pageantry kind of films like Glory, Last Samurai, of course, with Tom Cruise and The Siege, which I was a part of the making of that uh, when I was working at his company. Um, but they're also really good at intimate family drama. So my guess is that's what uh, attracted them to this story is because they get sort of this fake family of sorts and wanted to deal with that. But even that really left me wanting. I really didn't like this film. I'm really happy that we have a bit of a varied opinion on the in the group today because for me, I, I'm going to have a really difficult time trying to be unbiased with the way that I looked at this film because it... For, for me was it was super terrible um the 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 thing that i put in the show notes is is the triple u which it comes from jim rome the sports talk radio guy he talks about when he gets tweets that are unfunny uninspired and unreadable well i added unwatchable to this because this movie made me angry it through most of it and i actually i kept falling asleep multiple times it uh, there was I'm, I really want to hear about the things that you guys thought worked well and the characters that you liked because I just felt that everything was really cardboard. It felt the whole thing felt like a facade, and it's really hard for me because I when we when we chose this movie, I didn't know anything about the the Reacher franchise. I didn't know about the books. I didn't know. I really didn't. I knew that the first movie existed, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't hadn't seen it. I went and picked that up from the library, and I thought the first one was so good. I loved the first one. I thought it was the perfect tone. It was funny. I laughed through it. I thought the action was clever and it had that ultimate protagonist thing that I like so much in movies like The Equalizer and things like that. I thought the first movie was great and this one was really terrible for me. So I definitely want to hear what things you guys liked about it. So Steve, let's go to you first. What what did work well for you? So it worked well in comparison to the book. Oh. Ahoy, so <laughs> so <laughs> our our Introduction to Jack Reacher in this film 
is is really sort of the tail end of a prior story. He's, you know, we show up, there's a diner, he's beat up these guys, we really get to, to know him, and we find out, you know, through a phone call that he is... Uh, you know, had been working with the military police out in D.C., which establishes his relationship with Major Turner. So it establishes uh, that they, you know, he, she helped him out in that situation. And then we see that they have these phone calls and he's traveling to D.C. to see her. To me, it established the nature of that relationship that he had. It, they had sort of a, f- a friendship sort of growing over these phone calls that are happening over a period of time in the book. As I recall, he has a single phone conversation with her, likes her voice, and decides to go to D.C. because he wants to take her out to dinner. That is his entire motive in the book for going there. And I thought the movie did a much better job of really establishing a collaborative partnership and multiple conversations versus the book of, oh, I heard this woman's voice. I want to take her out to dinner. Let me go to D.C., which was to me just the feeblest motive to get Jack Reacher to DC. So I thought, wow, we're starting with some some meat to this. We've we've got an interesting, you know, setup of introducing him as a character, his ability to fight all these guys, uh, how smart and intelligent he is. I expected more. And then things rapidly fell apart from there. So basically the bar was set really low when you walked in. Oh, it was it was very low. Let me just say I had recently watched the the first film uh, with my brother. He had never seen it. We really enjoyed that. Last weekend, I went and saw The Accountant, which I felt, I which reminded me a lot of the first Jack Reacher. There's action, there's comedy, there's interesting character pieces. And I thought, well, maybe this second one's going to pull it off. Mm. Nothing there. I think it's actually interesting, Steve. I think because I mean, you you the the way the film opens is something that Andy and I have talked about a bunch. Uh, you know, from our Seven Samurai series, which is this, oh yeah, the introduction yeah. with an unrelated event, the yes. unrelated hero event to introduce yeah. our hero to the character. And I think it's a it's such an interesting strategy. The problem is, I, I we'd seen it in both of the major the the feature trailers of this thing. So if you'd been watching the trailers, you'd seen that and you'd already sort of had the adrenaline rush of how cool that sequence is, you know, two things are gonna happen in the next ninety seconds. We already had that, right? So it, it sort of lost the the power of it. Although I think that sequence was really cool. It was a Jack Reacher sequence that I really wanted. I do want to say one thing which I think sets the film uh it gives the film uh, a a challenge from the offset that it's not just picking up from a, a story in motion, right? It It is the fourth in sort of a mini-series narrative of Jack Reacher books. Like, it's the fourth of a story that's happened over the course of the last, like, 900 pages that we never see anything about. And so that's I think weird. This, this sort mm. of, you know, we're starting in motion as the fourth book of a, of a series within 21 other books. It's tough. It is tough to, uh, I think it's tough to live up to. But never go back. Never go back to one, two, and three. Never go back. And that being said, uh, I wanted to see that story. The story that ended as soon as the movie began. Yeah. Like the takedown in a small town of people. Like that seems like Jack Reacher stuff. Yes. Less than like bad army people like shipping things in from companies we never see from shadow people that we never meet, like an idea of like stopping a human trafficking ring from like a hometown sheriff who's a jerk. That sounds great. That I is a Reacher story. That. Yeah, yeah. That's a Reacher story, not this other kind of muddled thing that we got into. 
Well, yeah, and I would, I, and not in defense of this, but I, I think that, you know, to that point, there are all kinds of Reacher stories in the series, and this one, it feels like they they gave us that story in motion, you know, kickoff to this one, as a, as and they, they really should have made that movie, and then maybe come back and make this other movie as a third movie, but I, I really feel like they wanted to have the daughter element. It feels like this is, they wanted to give Reacher some depth. The other thing that I just have to kick off and see what you guys think about it is how I thought that one of the great strengths of this film uh, was how they uh, was how they handled uh, Susan, uh, her character, Kobe Smulders' uh, character in the film, um, which I thought was great, and actually a dramatic improvement over the character in the book. We'll talk more about that. What did what did you like about it? Well, I you know I walked out of that thinking, wow, here's somebody that they put in a dominating position, right? I mean, to see how well they let her handle things, to see how well they let her get hit, and how well they let her get up, and how well they let her get pinned. Uh, I mean, she was on par with Reacher. Uh, you Physically, know, in, yes, I agree with that. Absolutely, as as just sort of a character. There was this weird scene that I didn't need them hanging a lantern on, right? Which was them talking about how you know why do don't you want me to go because I'm a woman? And they had already demonstrated how powerful a character she was. Uh, and I was disappointed by that right in the middle. It was a little slowdown in the middle. But overall, her character I thought was great. And I thought she acquitted herself really, really well in the film. What I liked about that scene, though, Pete, was that it wasn't about her being a woman in the end. And that's that was the resolution of that scene is that it's not about that. It's about him not used to working with other people and wanting to do it alone. And and it turned into that because, uh, you know, it, you know, a man, a woman, they were having this conversation. He didn't want her to go. But really, it boiled down to him not knowing how to handle other people wanting to do stuff with him or for him, you know. It, and so for me, I liked the way that scene played out. Mm, okay, that's fair. Uh, you know, and I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, honestly, it, it's, it's interesting that you brought up Col- Kobe Mulders because I'm a, a big fan of hers, but I wasn't really uh, sort of, I didn't buy into her performance in this film, I, but I, I can't say that I bought into any of the actor's performances. Uh, I think that the concept of what you're talking about, the importance of that sort of decision or and and that sort of decision to Jack Reacher and the way that he does what he does is important. I didn't get the depth of it in terms of the film because I felt like it was just a sort of tertiary conversation that happened for a moment and then much more happened. But again, I hadn't bought into the film at all at that point. So that's probably why I couldn't get there with what they were doing. I just thought that their, her introductory scene, I mean, even the, the first sequence when he's rescuing her from the prison, uh, and he walks in and starts beating on those guys, and her instinct is, oh, I want to beat on those guys too. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was so good. That was like a nice little uh, adrenaline push that kind of got me over some of the stuff that I didn't like uh, immediately before. So do we think that that's really how she's written in the script, or do you know from the book? Is, is that character written that way in the book? Well, she's much softer in the book. Uh, oh. She's just much softer in the book, Ab- absolutely. And there's much more of uh, it, it's much more of a relationship of him, uh, sort of teaching her the ropes, um, it, rather than from the from the get go. We have this situation where she is going to be a dominating figure in the in the narrative. Well, that's interesting to me because I I like that too. I think if again I don't want to get into a comparative discussion about whether this is better than the book than the source material or whatnot. But I think if they represent her that way in the film, I think that's good. She was a major. She had elevated to the level that that Reacher had when he was with the MPs. So she should carry that weight as well. And I think that is significant. I, I definitely didn't catch that. It's really cool that you guys did. Well, I try to do my part. 
<laughs> with looking at the other aspects of, of the script. Um, how do you guys think it was written? Final draft? <laughs> <laughs> Technically <Nice>. speaking. <laughs> yeah. Movie uh, magic. <laughs> for, for me, I can start out, it's going to be pretty quick, of just the idea that I was, because I did work with uh, Mr. Herskovitz and Mr. Zwick for so long, I know that they're incredibly good at writing family. I was with them when they made their TV show once and again which was an amazing TV show. It became a little bit overlooked by the end and unfortunately got canceled. But they're really good at the intimacies of family and family dynamics. And my guess is just that they got turned on by that of making this sort of, as I said before, fake family uh, in order to like a fake wife and a fake daughter, or, you know, a proxy daughter in order to do this. But for me, the problem was, I mean, they are so, these are the people that brought us um, my so-called life. They are so good at writing teenagers. And uh, I did not enjoy the character of Sam at all. She went immediately from broken, terrified person to sulky teenager in a heartbeat. And the problem for me, and maybe it's just I don't like unpleasantness, which is weird because <laughs> I watch horror films for a living. But it's the idea of like, even in this film, everyone hated each other for like 90% of the movie. Well, and I guess that would be my question because I... And it made it so unhappy. Right. And I loved Once and Again as well. And if people oh. aren't aware of that, it's an old ABC show, right, Tommy? ABC uh -huh. with uh, uh, Billy Campbell and Celia Ward. Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah. and it was very, very touching. And, and before Once and Again, it was 30-something, uh, right? That's Zwick uh -huh. and Herskovitz too. So, yeah, they do that really well. But I didn't think that carried through here. I didn't have that feeling with the proxy family. I, I didn't believe them in that it mattered other than their actions. So the question would be, is it, was that a contradictory point in the script or was that a contradictory point in the execution? Well, and that's the problem that I had with it because it feels like the kludgiest stuff in the film was the stuff with the family, the fake family, like the, the most awkward language and performances, the most unnatural performances was uh, that came from Poor uh, Danica Yarosh and, you know, working with Tom Cruise, particularly their, I mean, their intro scene, I don't like being followed, uh, was so terrible, like so terrible. It absolutely set the tone for the rest of the film. It felt like a very strange slice of, of you know, of a different film that they shoehorned into this. And I think it robbed, uh, I, I think in large part, it robbed Tom Cruise being able to do what he needed to do in this movie. <laughs> well, yep. and and that was the point for me is that I felt like the scenes like you're talking about really felt spoon fed for me, and the script came off as a real sort of spoon feeding about what where they wanted us to go, whether it was emotionally or with the action of the film. It's something that I that I think is hilarious in a car chase when you're trying to talk to your driver and you need to tell them car, 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 car. Uh, to get away from what you're about to run into. There's no reason for that to be in the script. And that kind of stuff is just ridiculous. Um, it, it, uh, the other thing, we've already mentioned it a little bit, but all the running. What, why so are they running? running so much? <laughs> that's that's the, the John Woo dove of Tom Cruise. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. And you know, I mean, there's one scene where they, where they were an edit. They edit out of one one place, one location, oh, the and then the they edit park? back in with them <laughs> sprinting. It's like we open on the park, 
and Susan and Jack are sprinting. I'm like, and they're both, and just sort of vaguely towards a bus, and they're both doing the Terminator like slice the air right run that John that Tom Cruise does so well. Okay, yeah. Yeah, seriously, Tom Cruise is 54 years old and he runs like a boss. I am so bullish on letting Tom Cruise freight train his way through any damn movie he wants. <laughs> I will watch that. He is aspirational to me. But the problem is that's, that's you his will thing. hate Born on the Fourth of July. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that was th- a gross joke. <laughs> <laughs> but timely. Is that, a, is that a cut for taste? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we'll let America decide. <laughs> right. I'll keep you in suspense. Um, yeah. Nice. No, uh, thank you. Uh, no, I, I just, those script things just popped out to me. And the running, yes, he does it really well. And it, evidently he wants everyone around him to do it really well too, because they did everybody, both the villains, the, the, the fake daughter, the fake wife, everybody's running constantly in this film. And did that's you notice though how Kobe Smulders runs exactly like Tom Cruise? Do yes. you think that was intentional? I'm pretty sure she was directed <laughs> to do so. I that's the part it just I don't want and I mean what hands do you see from the direction in this film? I you know I I love Edswick movies. I loved uh Glory. I'm a huge fan of Glory. I actually like The Last Samurai, which is Tom Cruise and Edswick too, uh, even though there's a lot of carryover between those two films. But in here, I didn't really see Edswick stuff. I saw Tom Cruise stuff. Okay, so JJ, hold on a second. So you you love Edswick stuff, and the things that you name are what thirty years old, and how long ago was Last Samurai? Ten ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so I mean, that's yeah. I mean. I brought this up at sort of in the back channels of as I as we were preparing for this one. You look at the strength of the first one. You look at Christopher McQuarrie, you know, writing and directing that. He goes on to do uh, what is it, the Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. You know, you see that the strength of those. When I looked at the writing and directing, the names attached here, I had you know a lot of reservations about is this going to translate to the big screen? Because I I think everything you've talked about the strength of their work really is small screen, and I think. That's some of the things we're talking around here is this isn't really, you know, big, you know, action franchise for, you know, this late summer, early fall. This is a a TV show. There were so many back in the script. There were so many weird cuts uh, and story jumps, you know, that I I had to think, okay, is this like coming out of a commercial break? Like Reacher's walking up to this house and, you know, stalking the daughter. And then as he's having a conversation with her, she says, well, I don't live with my mother. And then I thought, okay. How did he find her then? If she's living with some other couple that's not related to her, how would he just randomly find this, you know, blonde-haired, fifteen-year-old teenager in the streets of Washington D.C.? You know, and I thought, but because there's a there's a nice little story cut there of like, oh, he's there. He's clearly done all this work. That's a heck of a lot of investigative work for him to pull off in a couple of hours to track down this one girl that he has a picture of that looks like it's probably at least two or three years out of date. That's so Reacher there, magic. No, that's not Reacher magic. That's, no. that's a really good point. The other one of those for me was when they showed up at, oof, people's names. Uh, yeah. The the jerk that ended up being killed, um, they jerk. got the emails. Do you mean Jerk Magoo? Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. The, oh, the, oh Major. Major emails, Jerk Magoo. Yeah. That they, ju- that they just the, ended up, yeah. they were just already in his house. 
Oh, yeah, when they're on the phone with uh, Colonel Morgan. Colonel, Colonel Morgan, Morgan. Yes, yes. Thank you very much. Yes, and then all were, of a sudden, they, how did they find uh, are just him? in his house. It's like, oh, that's the kind of stuff that felt lazy and tired to me of like we're just we're speeding towards the next part and we're not really connecting the dots that well yeah i I agree with steve i have a i have a uh, my thesis is that it's that most of the problem in this film is uh can be hung on editing the editing was terrible and i know we can we can talk about that in a minute but i i want to just hang a flag on it there because so much of what you're saying it just feels to me i have this burning hope in my chest that there is a director's cut of this film that actually makes sense (laughs) something went really wrong in post-production because there's so much meddling there's so much changes in post-production well that goes back to my comment about tom cruise is that I don't think you have an, a director's cut on a Tom Cruise movie. I think I you have Tom Cruise's cut, and that's it. Snap. Okay. And Pete, <laughs> I think a lot of the issues, you know, having read the book, there were a lot of changes they made, and I think they tried to bridge some of the gaps in the story because they changed things. They had to deal with, well, the consequences. The story still needs to sort of get into a certain direction. We've got to make those leaps. The biggest one that came to me was the... The, the stolen credit cards because in the in the book he's got he's you know lifted a wallet from one of the guys one of the teams like the B team on the airplane he gets the guy's wallet and he's using those credit cards which makes sense then why that organization can track those credit cards when you're using credit cards that this teenager stole from this snobby girl at the private school that her parents may be reported as stolen how does that organization able to track those credit cards because of all the millions of people that may have reported lost credit cards clearly they're monitoring that specific one so that when she calls room service they can get right there well i know and you know it's one of those credit cards don't work that way dummy moments like by the time she'd ordered room service they'd already bought like three airline tickets uh, and it, it fraudulently, that that would have been flagged. Like, oh, yeah. we all live in the now with credit cards. Like, we get it. That's that's yes. Brilliant. Well, this movie was was you know clearly set in like, you know, the late nineties. I, <laughs> I mean, there was just well, you look at the phones. He's got what like a flip phone. It looks like everybody's using like old school Blackberries, and you know, I don't know. Well, I mentioned that a little bit in my show open here because there there was so much phone work in a lot this of burner movie, phones. yeah, and I just it, it just it didn't work. It didn't it didn't really happen. That's that's not you know we don't spend our time doing that anymore. Is this is this a period piece? <laughs> it feels like it. It really yeah. does. There are so many parts of the story that just really felt. Like, where am I? What, what we're telling this story again? We've we've been here. We've dealt with this. Um, yeah, I just is another Jack Reacher coming. The first Jack Reacher wasn't a huge hit, but it was obviously enough of a hit. You got to look at international box office as well, because Tom Cruise can pull in big numbers overseas, and that may be enough to keep this thing going. Well, well and the first Reacher was a surprise. And it looked like there was quite a bit of Chinese money in this, if you saw the company names. Yeah. Lots of Wawa, Shanghai. Wawa Film and Media Culture, yeah. Shanghai Film Group. Oh, so that's Wawa. I, I wasn't familiar with that one. I just saw Skydance, which is Tom Cruise, right? Right, but there was a lot of... all Almost all of the other companies, apart from Skydance, were Chinese companies. So I that's believe. interesting. And, and the reason I bring it up is because you know we leave him, and he's hitchhiking to his next locale, right? His next adventure. Yeah. So it might be they're trying to leave the door for his Jack Reacher does Shanghai. 
Well, I'm sure they are. And that is exactly the way the books work. And it's exactly what, you know, everybody I think wants is to see this, this sort of wandering nomad, uh, do-gooder, clever kind of strongman antihero uh, traveling all over the world like kung fu. Uh, that that's what they want. I think that's what Tom Cruise wants. And I think it's you know they're they're just going to throw some money at it until you know. I, I, I honestly that's I, a shame because that's so not what I want. <laughs> I kind of want this one man a team. Hmm. The numbers for the first Jack Reacher domestically it made eighty million, internationally almost one hundred and forty million. Yeah. So wow. it's definitely. I mean, Tom Cruise has a big international box office draw. It makes sense. And Pete, how old did you say he was? 54 years old. 54. Yeah. 54. So, yeah. yeah, so Jack Reacher does retirement is next. That's awesome. Um, it, what did you think about his performance? <laughs> uh, I thought th- the film really, it was almost like a trick to, like, the only time we're ever going to see him smile is in the very last shot because right. he's been softened because of teenage Scrappy Madu, Magoo. Mad- Wait, what's her name? Scrappy Doo. <laughs> I'm bad with my own jokes. Um, point being that he was so robbed of his natural charisma that he couldn't do anything except sort of do a little small frown or mainly just twitch his eyes, which he did a lot. There was just almost nothing for him to do. So for me, it was very disappointing. I like Tom Cruise. I well, like watching him act. Well, and when you're talking about those eye twitches, I mean, there were a number of cutaways or scenes I saw them as cutaways but and scene enders where we spent time on people's faces Tom Cruise especially and they did nothing except for attempt to emote and I never got that from him Kobe Smulders had a number of those scenes too and I guess that's I I again I still feel like this is a Tom Cruise movie a lot of time we'll we'll talk about when a big star like Tom Cruise is in a movie whether or not we see the character in that person or whether we just see them as Tom Cruise doing another movie uh it, you know uh, Tom Cruise saves the town and I felt like that was this I felt like when I was watching him interact with the actors the actors were not interacting with Jack Reacher they were interacting with Tom Cruise and I didn't feel that way in the first one so I don't know what the change was here obviously we have a different team putting this film together and a different sort of involvement, but it this felt like it was all Tom Cruise and no Jack Reacher. Did anyone else feel that way? I didn't really have that problem. Uh, you know, I, I thought Tom Cruise uh, delivered, uh, you know, I mean, a solid enough performance for the film that it was. I mean, I can't remember who, which of you said it, but uh, TV movie has come up a few times. And yeah, I mean, I, I said that I did kind of walk out kind of enjoying it. But on a, it, it weirdly, it was kind of on a TV movie sort of way. I mean, it ended up being that. And I, I kind of, I guess I was kind of okay with that. I thought he gave a performance that, that fit. And I didn't think, I don't know, I felt like, uh, I, I thought he and Kobe did a, a, a fine job working with each other. I never felt like she was... Uh, acting opposite Tom Cruise. I mean, it did feel like a Jack Reacher relationship. You know, I didn't really feel like that. So um, I don't know. For me, it worked. Yeah, I'm with Andy on that. I I felt like they actually did a pretty good job. And and particularly because I liked Tom Cruise as Reacher and I like Kobe Smulders as Turner, I felt like they were anchoring a boat that was just falling apart around them. Like yeah. that that was kind of my feeling. Like <laughs> it was the same feeling you get like after you see First Contact, you know, Star Trek First Contact in the theater and then you go to Insurrection, right? <laughs> like it's it's that experience. It was like this was a a great experience and now like the pieces, the wheels are just coming off 
as we're driving down the road. And and so it was a little bit frustrating. And I, I half expected Tom Cruise to break the fourth wall at one point and just say, <laughs> you know, sorry, hang on, we'll get to the end. Um, <laughs> I wanted that kind of uh, acknowledgement that, that he knows that this is probably not the best in the series. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the strength of what Tom Cruise brings to a role is there's a certain amount of, I guess, that works well for him is a certain amount of cockiness to his to his action heroes that I that I enjoyed in the first one. And this one it is maybe the nature of the story trying to put him sort of off his guard. There's things going on that he doesn't understand. Does he have this daughter? He's got a lot of questions. He's not as, as, as sure of himself. And it just didn't give him those moments of of confidence to really shine where you feel like he's really you know he's jack reacher he knows what's going on and i know in this story and even in the book there's you know he's got some doubts and it it brings the story down a little bit makes it a little bit more somber and to me that just doesn't really work when you're expecting a tom cruise action film because even you know i think in the first one there were some great laughs that i had in that first one or you think about when he really turns that role turns that upside down in the movie like edge of tomorrow where he's playing against that type but he could still have that there's something about his that confidence that he has and to be even at the end at the climax where we're like well i guess the first climax where the big reveal of what's going on with the weapons to me it was like the most anticlimactic reveal ever because he's sort of standing there thinking well let me just try this and it's like it wasn't that he knew what was going on it was just like let me just hazard to guess because i think maybe this is it um and it just didn't really work it because to be jack reacher from the one book i've read is a guy who's always slightly at least a couple steps ahead of everybody else the smartest guy in the room yeah am, am i wrong about that pete well, you know, yes and no. I there, I I want to go back a little bit on this point to something Andy said, and I hadn't thought about it. In in one of the interviews with Lee Childs, he says, you know, of the first movie, he says, you know, I, I really didn't know, you know, I I people always accuse me of saying, well, this is, you know, I get Tom Cruise just because he's, you know, just because he's big on the on the, you know, marquee. But what about you know doing honor to the character of Jack Reacher? Jack Reacher is six five, two hundred. 150 pounds like he oh. stands out this Checks guy is out. a brute Checks out. Yeah. right and and uh, Liam Neeson you know what Andy exactly. you, when you said that I had I had to look up Liam Neeson is 6'4 like he absolutely Perfect. fits the role because there's there's something about you got to remember about Reacher he is a weathered dude like he is subdued he is generally quiet he's incredibly smart and incredibly fit but he's he is not a, he's not a comedian he's not a terribly charismatic uh, guy like it's not there's not a lot of womanizing there's not a lot it, it's just not that and Tom Cruise as much as I know he loves this character of Jack Reacher I, I feel like he's you know he may be he's just obviously not the right guy uh, you know when you look at it in the perspective of the kinds of charismatic characters he usually plays he looked tired the whole movie. I thought so, that too. So that's something. Yeah, right. Well, and, the, you know, one of the things he does do, and I don't know how well you guys think he pulls it off, one of the things that Reacher is kind of known for in these movies is is being incredibly apologetic about his own brute force, right? Um, you know, you guys, like, I, I, seriously, this is not going to go well for you. Like, I know you want to pick a fight, and I know you think right. you're doing the right thing, but I'm. it's, it's going to end quickly and really badly for you. Please, 
let's find another way. Like, he's incredibly, uh, like, honorable and apologetic about that. And I think that uh, Tom Cruise tried to pull that off. I think there, there were pieces of that that were in the script. And, um, you know, to the degree to which you, you buy it, uh, you know, is, is the degree to which they get the authenticity and affinity to the book. No, I definitely bought that. And I and I, I think it's interesting to consider, I had no idea about his size. I mean, that's, that you know, Tom Cruise is known for his size, and it's not six four. So yeah. um, it's really interesting that that's a difference. But I did get that apologetic sense, and I think he carried that well. That's neat that that's a character trait that he was able to bring out. Um, it, it, some of you said that you liked Kobe Smulders as well, very much. Great, yeah, I liked her. I thought yeah. I thought she was great. I really enjoyed her as the character, and I thought that was. For me, the biggest strength of the film was actually the relationship between the two of them. Really, the three of them. I liked the daughter, too. Oh, excellent. So there. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair, fair enough. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think the earlier point that Tommy made about how everyone just seemed so unhappy for most of the time was something that was difficult for me with Kobe Smulders. I think that she, I, I'm a big fan of hers as well. Um, and I think that her, there could have been more comedy here. Um, it, it would have made the film more enjoyable for me. That's something that I really didn't expect from the first film and really liked a lot. Well, and the fact that it's Kobe Smulders, like she can pull off comedy. Exactly. She is adept at it. But instead, we would go to her for cutaways, for her melting under vague situations where Tom Cruise is hanging out with Scrappy-Doo and stuff. Like just to force us in to making sure that we knew what's going on I didn't like all of them together. <laughs> yeah, Tom, I'm sorry. Did, did, did all of that come out as very angry? Tom, was supposed to. Explain what you mean by Scrappy-Doo. Yeah. Scrappy-Doo, uh, this, this teenage character who, uh, yeah, I didn't care for her introduction. Like the most obvious is she uh, Tom Cruise's, I'm sorry, Jack Reacher's daughter thing was a little insane uh, when he's looking over her artwork and uh, – in the corner of it, very prominent for me. She's just sort of written out uh, what's the fun of doing things if you're ordered to do it, which is something that um, Jack Reacher had said earlier when explaining why he left the army and stuff. It was just so, so on the nose. She's so traumatized. She's smart enough to hide into a cabinet while running out, while we get some weird Benny Hill sped up flashback that didn't actually happen. <laughs> and then all of those flashbacks made me insane. Benny so Hill? So weird. They were all sped up. They were so sped up and weird. I just kept giggling every time. But either way, more importantly, she immediately becomes sullen teenager. And then throughout the movie, she just makes dumb teenager mistakes. And I think that's, I think that's such an old trope. Of like the teenagers don't realize that phones can be uh, traced and that you shouldn't use credit cards. They were using her as a foil to keep this uh, ragtag group of assassins who seem to all wear like members only jackets for some reason, like just on their tails all the time. I don't like that. They go all the way to the school and f set up all that just so she can use her phone. So then they immediately leave. It's just, I don't know. I, I didn't care for that. You know, that's an interesting thing that you, I, I think you allude to here, which is that, that the trope that I find so interesting about her, that off screen, when they're talking about her, she's brilliant and crafty. But as soon as she's in context with Tom Cruise and Kobe Smulders, she's an idiot. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's being, we're being sold two different people. Yeah. One is a smart 
figured out character and the other is a plot device. Yes. yes. Sounds like a teenager to me. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But it, I felt like we were being forced both of those. One of those uh, exists in a 90s movie and one exists now. And so that was why I had trouble with that. I'm I'm happy to hear you say that, Tommy, because it was something I struggled with and I didn't know if it was, again, because I having read the book and seen, you know, such a smaller role in terms of the plot in the book and to have her really sort of, you know, as part of, you know, the third member of this group, to have it that role elevated into that piece. I just had all kinds of problems with how she was being used to sort of push the plot along. You know, yes, we go to the school so she can steal the backpack. So they have the credit card so they can, you know, I just felt it was really shoehorned in there. So I, and I wasn't sure if it was just me uh, struggling with those changes, but I, I'm happy to hear that. It I is. don't think, I don't think it yeah. was. She's the yeah. kind of person that leaves yeah. a very uh, flooded street, probably with cops there. If there's yes. a huge ca- carnival parade and exactly. then takes a left down a dark alley. I mean, right. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to be doing these things anymore. We're supposed no. to be smarter than that. I think that's a great note too, Steve. She's like a story in the movie, and she's f story in the book. Like yes. she's she's hardly a part of it. Right. They talk well, about but, her enough, but but my question, since you read the book, was because I mean, I found for me, I enjoyed the film mostly because I enjoyed this this relationship of this family of the three of them. The plot itself, I found really uh, you know, pretty trying. That was, for, for me, the biggest problem I had with the film. All of the stuff with uh, uh, Parasource and the uh, uh, the general who runs it. And, and I mean, all of that stuff was really, uh, you know, pretty um, TV movie, like we've said. So for me, I enjoyed the addition of this daughter character and the, the relationship of the three of them, despite any issues that that there may be with, with that relationship. But, I mean, was the plot itself actually stronger in the book? Because that, for me, is the weakest part of the film. Well, I think Steve and I are probably going to disagree. <laughs> so, so, Andy, let me say that the fact that you think the relationship part is the strongest part, uh, you know, and again, if this is an action movie, the fact that the strongest part is the character relationships that, that I think speaks to some some strong issues. Uh, the the plot was still a, a mess in the book, but at least it was a, an action film uh, or an action story where it, it, there was a lot more, you know, him trying to really puzzle out and track down who these guys were. He's 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 set up what they don't really establish here is this whole thing with this daughter it's all this stuff that's going on in the background to decide to set him up to get him drawn back into the military so they can really keep tabs on him so they they can can be controlling him because they're worried about him finding these things out so if we can bring up all these false charges we can get him you know there's all this working against him here you know why it's really dropped you know why do they even why does Colonel Morgan or whatever even bring up like, oh, here's, you know, this this daughter, or, you know, or whatever. Um, if you think back to it, like, why was she even introduced to the story? What is her function in all of this? What, it's not explained. At least in the book, there was a rationale for that. And it kept him on the run as sort of the, the fleeing prisoner. And I could always track that he there were things forcing him to move forward and also try to solve this big mystery. Whereas here... In this movie, there were several times they're on the plane. I'm trying to remember why do they have to go to New Orleans again? There's some guy there, but everything was really hazy. At least in the book, I had a clear picture of I knew what he was trying to do or why he was going certain places. Here, things were just pushed along, and I I would often lose track of 
why do we need to be going to these places? What are we trying to find out? And pushed along so much through ADR. At some point, we have to get to the post-production <laughs> of this film. Okay. I also really liked seeing Aldous Hodge uh, in it. I like him a lot. I thought he was... Uh, I, I've seen him in a number of other things. I loved <laughs> Leverage is one of my guilty pleasure shows. Ah. Oh, yes, definitely. And so I, yeah. I really enjoyed seeing him uh, in here. Um, but the the big one for me that wait, I thought- Wait, which one, which one was he? He was I'm Espen. Sorry? He was Espen. Espen. He was the giant, giant Marine- that oh, Tom Cruise okay. stole his clothes <laughs> no, and then the perfect fit. Yeah. <laughs> he was great, but he did have to <laughs> deliver the subpar yes. uh what's it what's his name? Uh Tommy not Tommy. Tommy Lee Jones, yeah. Uh line of I want to know what kind of eggs they had yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 to the point that when he was later asking on the phone of like, who's Parasaurus? I want to know everything about Parasaurus. I wanted to say, and I want to know what kind of eggs they had. <laughs> I want him to be obsessed with eggs and what kind of eggs they wanted. And he always wants it yesterday. Such a, such a hurrier. Okay, sorry. Was that not worth putting in? Oh, that's going to stay in. Every bit of that is staying in. Okay. All right. Very that, good. Was a, that was not his fault. That was a tough line. Oh, yeah. Uh, he had a uh, lot of just, tough lines. Yeah. Was there a good line in the movie? Oh, no. Come on. <gasps> Seriously, what was the line where you went, yeah. Two things are going to happen in the next 90 seconds. That was it. That whole speech. That was it. <laughs> I like that. That's that was yeah. great. That was great. Huh. Yeah. Trump. Because yeah. well, even the ways things were framed, uh, and I hate to backtrack, but Kobe Smulders, when she's you know right there on the tarmac with the airplane and the way they shot that like straight on with her like right into the camera with her accusations i thought this oh, just seems really weird, weird to me that Why was a we really weird this? shot that choice yeah. with that shot it looked like she was in a confessional on a reality tv show i don't do yes. not understand why they shot it yes. that way right. well and, and jumping into cinematography that was i think one of my biggest problems with the film is is so much of it felt uh, just kind of uh, pieced together as far as the way that they shot it a lot of it seemed just uh, not shot well, which seemed strange for, you know, kind of a big Tom Cruise action film. You know, it's interesting. I actually thought it was, I, I didn't have the problem that, that you had with the cinematography. I, I thought the action, at least, was filmed, was shot well. And I thought, you know, I think one of the things they do well in Jack Reacher movies is they do a good job of shooting uh, shooting the fights. And that's one of the things I want to see shot well. I want to be able to see this close quarters, you know, uh, foot and fist combat. And I want to be able to see where all the shots land and they delivered on that so i i, I think you know i should uh, i should I clarify i agree with you the that it was shot the the framing and the way the cameras moved was shot well for me it was the lighting i should have clarified oh, the lighting it was was really terrible. the lighting always looked awful and through the whole film when they were in the I, back alley in new orleans and they have this overhead lighting that looks like they have a spot shooting down on i mean it was so clear that it Where was does a that set come from oh, it's just ridiculous that, and it was shot in in New Orleans. Like, how did they take New Orleans and make it look like a set in New Orleans? I don't do think do that, that back alley was. I mean, I think yeah, there I were know. there were things on location, but that back alley was. It, it, I mean, it was constructed for yeah, the film. It looked, yeah, well, it, it was cheap. For there the are, for yeah. the book readers, did it take place during a carnival parade? Oh during, no, none of that's there. None of that's there. That, that's no. what I assume is like Louisiana tax break like, <laughs> yeah. stuff. Because yeah. we've seen that in 18,000 movies. Got to make sure that like, Louisiana knows that it was in the film. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's what I assumed. I just wanted to make sure. 
the shot that when they pull in, when they first get into the airport or they're waiting at the security and the, the four or five black vehicles approach and they do that sort of uh, the slowed down film and then they actually have a digital zoom on as the cars oh, are coming close yeah. and it's out Oof. of focus. I mean, it was so poor. It was, we. I mean. Can we talk about post-production yet? Yes, are we jump. officially talking about <laughs> Please, post-production? jump. This movie was meddled with, not meddled with because that makes it seem like it was ruined in post-production. This film obviously had a lot of problems for either focus groups or executives or something because there's the amount of ADR is distractingly insane. Um, the amount of things that are given uh, when we're not looking at anyone or over someone else's shoulder, uh, that kind of catching us up on what's going on is all over the place. And then JG, thank you so much for bringing up the digital zooms. Then even there's later when they're after the airport, when they're trying to figure out where guns are. I don't remember exactly, but there's just like crazy digital zooms, which are make it so like grainy and so not right. I mean, yeah, they're cheap and terrible looking. They're really cheap and terrible looking and something happened with this movie. I, I mean, that makes me feel like, unfortunately, the first cut less, left a lot to be desired if they needed to do this much work on it. I My problem didn't didn't come in that you know when when i first started shooting when i first got it it was for news right and so i would go out and and they would say just go shoot b-roll for weather because the weather person is going to be standing in front of the green screen and while they're talking we're going to have b-roll of weather in the background and what do you shoot in weather well if you work in the news business you go and you put your camera on the ground and you show a close-up of tires driving through water or snow or something right you just shoot (laughs) just stupid bs you shoot it over and over again flags so eventually trees blowing in the wind yes yes a a street light with rain coming through right people cut off by the neck down (laughs) yeah (laughs) right yes yes See, you get this. So when I'm watching this movie, and, and eventually you get to a point where you're like, okay, I got to fill here. I'm shooting a story and the anchor is still talking, so I got to fill. What am I going to fill? I better use this shot of people from the neck down again. <laughs> and so you end up with this sense of kind of gentle repetition, and it's a little bit of a Twilight Zone thing. And that happens all the time in the news business, right? All the time. Right. right. That was this movie, and it made me <laughs> want to smash my head in a car door. When you see people fall on the same bit of hose in a fight, or you see them take the same perilous step off a ledge, they they kept cutting back to the same bits of footage repeatedly. And I was, I was, must have been a mess in the theater. I was audibly dismayed about it by the end of the movie. I was sighing and doing all the things that I hate people doing in the movie, but I, I was a mess. That's like me at Ant-Man. <laughs> <laughs> when I audibly went, nope, and walked out of the theater. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah. I'm sorry, yes. Billy Weber, this was not your best work. That's my point. I was not impressed at all. I don't know what they handed him. I mean, he did Thin Red Line. He did Top Gun. And I, I mean, I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Do you it. know how much this movie cost to make? Six, I have a guess. Six, $17. million. Oh, my God. Oh. And you think about all those repeated shots and how they just, I mean, exactly That's what you're talking about, Pete. Incredibly, they, that feels incredibly low to me. Oh, are you serious? Absolutely. Yeah, $65 does. million dollars for a Tom Cruise oh. summer film? 
I guess. This is starting to answer questions. It's okay. got to start at $100 million and go up from there. Because that of Tom? sounds like nothing. Because of Tom? Tom, t- Tom takes 20 off the bat. And so... Uh, even I with mean, Skydance behind it, isn't he all back-end on this? I don't know. Maybe. I, I hear Tom Cruise takes a lot of his uh, payments now as percentage of international. That's dollars. what I'm talking about. So I don't. Okay. So my point here is, I think sixty. I think it sounded high because they're using the same footage. I mean, why? Why don't you just shoot more? Why don't you shoot differently? Why don't you? Why don't you do things more creatively? Why don't you spend money on this movie? Well, and I, you know, I mean, that's what makes it sounds like a project management problem. I mean, it was just right. wildly inefficient for whatever amount they spent on it. Exactly. Mm. Uh, your your points right. make sense about the the difference in perception of budget, but I just, I mean, I never would have guessed sixty eight million dollars go into this movie because of the limited ability they had to deliver on what they were giving us from the film product it, itself. That is a that is interesting though that we're making. That Tom Cruise is making, producing sixty-five million dollar action films. That's a new. This seems like something that Hollywood is not currently doing right now. Right now, they a sixty-five million dollar movie doesn't have a lot of place in the market. Well, it's a hundred. It's a hundred millions or three millions, right. kind of a thing. For, yeah, or for am comparison, I just, uh, I mean, yeah. Edge of Tomorrow was one hundred seventy-eight million. Mission Impossible: Rogue Nation was one hundred fifty million. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah, these are very small compared to those. Well, and but, now you but, think of Rogue but to, Nation. But to JJ's credit, this the ramp down from a hundred something million to sixty-five. This didn't. They did what Pete said was right. They didn't use the money correctly. Something went wrong. But that is interesting. That if he if he wants to make this sort of franchise. For Tom Cruise on the cheap, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. For comparison, it's it's almost on par with Collateral, which was sixty five million. And Collateral, oh wow, wow. And Collateral was and the so first much Jack better. Reacher, which was sixty million. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, the first Jack Reacher was sixty million. Then I take back everything I said. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because it can be done, and it can be done well. I guess that's my. It point. absolutely can be done. Yeah, right. I didn't realize that the first Jack Reacher was that cheap. But that but so being much of that a relative term, of course. So much of that just boils down to the script and the story. True, yeah. and I mean, that's, you know, that's Christopher when they get Clark. into the editing and they're like, "Well, we yeah. got some problems here. How are we going to fix it?" And you know, it's that's when the mess comes because the yeah. script wasn't right to begin with. Well, there's the script thing, and then I feel <laughs> I'm going like, through that right now <laughs> in my personal life. What? <laughs> Well, and you mentioned that Tom Cruise takes the big part off the top. I, I go down the list of actors, and you look here, and really there isn't another actor there that takes a big chunk off the top, right? So we've talked about Kobe. We've talked about uh, it's either Danica or Danica um, and Aldous Hodge. There's a couple other people on our list to talk about, but they also aren't going to take a big chunk. They're uh, Patrick Hoisinger, he's the, the unnamed assassin, Tommy's favorite character in any movie. It's true. Although I have to say, and I don't want to take Tommy's uh, spotlight here because I know how excited he gets to talk about unnamed characters, but he was actually a central figure in Quantum Break, which was a a video game, a Microsoft Studios uh, video game uh, that that connected the the video part, like the game part, to this live action like series. So as you're playing the game, you'll play a couple of chapters, and suddenly, boom, you're in a TV show and you're watching. It's like it's very much like 
like styled like 24 and all of the characters that you've been playing that are digitized in the game are now uh, you're watching them act out a, a, the next chapter of the story and then it picks up from there in the game again and I thought it was a, a really uh, a great um, experiment and the game was really fun until the very very end which sucked Microsoft suck and uh and then uh, and and he was a great part in it and i thought he was really delightful in in the game video uh was and, littlefinger from game of thrones in that um yes he was the antagonist right okay yes. so i do know about this he i haven't the played bad it guy. Yet. okay yeah. yeah it was terrific and iceman from uh x-men hmm. was the, was the main guy um, and it's called quantum break quantum break it, and and you so you're get stuck in this experiment where you can suddenly control time and you can you can like throw these little waves of of freezing time and it's it's very fascinating i i really enjoyed it i got lost in it for a long uh, for many hours but um anyway so he, patrick heisinger was he was a, a one of the grunts on the and had a, a storyline and a, yeah. was a new father and it was it was great i really enjoyed it i thought it was a really novel approach to uh, entertainment and 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 you liked him in that, and, and I really did. And there's other characters just like that, I guess. Here in this movie, likable people. You got Holt McCallany, the Colonel Morgan. He's the the big bad, but he, I mean, he was in Fight Club. I mean, these are these yeah. are people that are, have been mi- minor roles in past movies, but again, people that aren't necessarily contributing to the budget. Uh, Robert Knepper. Robert Nepper. Nepper. Oh, Robert Nepper is the creepiest actor out there. Like he can he can pull off uh, like straight characters i know he can but man is he really the best when he is so creepy and he's the big prison bad parasaurus guy yeah he was the head of, of parasaurus yeah prison break absolutely okay. he was he is the he's t uh teabag bagwell right uh he's just so <laughs> grim and broken uh as a person uh but he was you know he's been <laughs> in, in he was in the last hunger games movie he's uh, you know he's all over the place, but he's. I really like him, and I thought he was totally underused. Like he has a lot of range in that, like in that I'm so creepy head of a corporation, and like why did they even put him in there? He's an iconic kind of looking guy, and uh, they didn't give him anything really to do. They they certainly didn't earn his breakdown at the end. I mean, right? You you want to feel like the the central antagonist of the film is the guy who goes down at the end and you know like he was the president of this company and wasn't really we didn't really get to know him well enough to hate him by the end he only existed in the movie through screen exactly which is always kind of a disappointment yeah well and the the amount that he's used lends itself to that sort of tv movie thing that we were talking about really um you know it it, this felt a little bit more like an episode of the new macgyver than uh than a tom cruise movie Um, because the conflict really wasn't about that because this isn't an action movie this is a family drama so it's all about you know, Jack Reacher and his surrogate daughter character and the, you know, assassin that's going to come between him and this this young girl that he's starting to connect with. And that's really why that was the high stakes climax, not the the downfall of Parasaurus, because this movie didn't really care about the whole Parasaurus storyline. It completely dumped that and focused more on the character relationship. So the climax was really that, you know, brutal bare knuckle brawl in the in the back alleys which to me was you know as pete said earlier those were like some of the high points of the film that was like okay these guys we're gonna have a real knockdown drag out fight 
that yeah was i felt somewhat realistic because they're out of breath and they've fallen off a roof and they're moving <laughs> slow <laughs> that was that was a, a i loved actually that little speaking of lines i like you fell off a building yes can we have this conversation later <laughs> yes that That's was a good line. Steve, I'll give it to you. Steve, That's a good line. Steve, I love that you said that. I agree a thousand percent. Did anyone else that the final action scene uh, between between Quantum Break Magoo and uh, Jack Reacher? That was the memorable moment for me in the film of of the. That was the first fight that I felt was filmed throughout. And I really knew where everything was. Everything felt like it was evolving into the next shot, into the next shot. It also seemed incredibly brutal to me. Did you guys feel I... This was a PG-13 movie. That started to tread the line for me at all. Uh, Did you guys feel that way at all? Just wondering. The blood spot where they land uh, on the ground and it was convincing that they had hit the ground there was seemed pretty brutal. So many heads. Hitting oh, floors and walls, but then yes. he break he does break, break his neck. Yes. He had to make good on his promise. I'm gonna break your arms, I'm gonna break your legs, and I'm gonna break your neck. What you're hearing is excitement. Finally, the movie gave this born like brutal fight, but it was so brutal it didn't seem to involve or to fit into the TV movie that I'd been watching. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa. Did it bother anybody else? This is a PG-13 movie. Would you let your 13-year-old daughter or son see this movie? Uh, Maybe I'm holding on too tight. I don't know why. Well, you probably uh, you, you, you probably are. My okay. kids, I, you know, I took my kids to that freaking church massacre movie. <laughs> Kingsman. <laughs> Kingsman. What are you going to do, right? Yeah, good point. <laughs> no, but, but, that I- seemed, but that seemed everything in Kingsman, so much of Kingsman was cartoonish. Yeah. Yes. Was so over the top. This was finally the... Like knuckles, bare knuckle brawl that maybe Jack Reacher lives in, gun free kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it just struck. I don't know why it struck me so weird. I'll let well, it go. Well, part of the reason that it was cartoony in Kingsman is because of not only the way it was shot, but what was going on surrounding it. Right. So it was it, everyone that was getting killed were. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, it wasn't intimate. It was. Mm-hmm. It was. You were a third person. This one was. You were a part of it. You were in on it. And uh, I think that by nature, I guess, would make it more brutal or more personal. If you get rid of all of the drama in between the fight scenes, the final fight scene was an earned fight climax. Yep. Right. It upped the ante from the fight that came before it. That's and agreed. The fight that came before that, and so yep. for me, it yep. didn't. It didn't come as a particularly shocking surprise. It was gruesome, uh, but I, I actually, I, and I'm sort of surprising myself given the way I feel about most horror tropes and violence. Um, I didn't find myself uh, thinking about it too much. Well, and it's on par, I think, with the first Jack Reacher, which is also PG-13. Agreed. Yeah, I guess maybe the, this film uh, dulled me into a different sensibility, honestly. Interesting. Interesting. And then when that happened, it was like, oh, God, this yeah. can happen? Right. And I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. So make sure... Don't take Foster to see this movie. It will be very upsetting to him. <laughs> he only watches movies about sticks. He's fine. Well, <laughs> I those, tape those, them every once in a while. And Wim Wenders films. Weirdly. <laughs> Loves Wim Wenders. So weird. All right. So in your theaters, when you were out there looking, what was the reception like? I can go first. I saw it at noon today on a Saturday, and I was one of only five people. So it was tough to sort of gauge. But whenever there was something remotely funny uh a guy with a mustache 
three seats behind me and two over would go. <laughs> so he was having a great time. Yeah, there, Past that, there, I don't know. There was a lot of laughing in my theater, but it was only about 15. So I I went to a, a one o'clock Friday afternoon, and usually those are not well attended, you know, middle of sort of a work day. <laughs> what do people do with their lives? And <laughs> it was nearly full. Really? Uh, and which really surprised me. And the, the only comment that I caught at the end was this. It was like this. She she was an, an older woman uh, and she stood up and she said almost exhaustedly, well, that was better than the first. And I didn't know how to read that. Like, Weird. it seemed like the weirdest None of that like, matches. <laughs> complice slam. Yeah, nothing, nothing really worked there. So yeah. that was my experience. Yeah, I saw it this afternoon, and it was it was not as full as I thought it would be on a you know one o'clock afternoon on a Saturday. It was, you know, it wasn't sparse, but it wasn't as full as I had expected because I I saw the accountant exactly one week ago Saturday one o'clock. It was more full for that than it was for this. Um, not a lot of audience reaction, although I think when. Uh, the girl uses the credit card and they've tracked it. I think somebody a couple seats over was like, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> like, shocked and surprised that like, don't oh, do wow, it! They're... Yes, exactly. And I thought, really? Okay. <laughs> well, and Andy mentioned earlier that it it likely will have a bigger international draw yes. as well. So, I mean, it, it might not even be important for us to think about numbers here because what's going to happen in China is going to be more important to how this movie does all told. That's a scary thing for me. Why? I don't know. Maybe because I'm racist? No, I don't <laughs> think I'm racist. I think it's because there's not a lot of Chinese movies sometimes. Some are brilliant. A lot are a different sensibility than we have. The same, much, very much the same way with Japanese movies. You can go through that with J-horror. While I thought Ringu was terrible, The Ring was amazing. So us making movies for a different kind of consideration or sensibility maybe makes me nervous. I can kind of relate to that, Tommy. It's like you're making considerations for the wrong reason. Like if it's a genuine sort of creative partnership, great. But when I first heard that they had like reshot or or added in some elements to, you know, some of the Marvel movies just in exchange for the Chinese money. Right. That that feels almost like the wrong reason to do it. Like if you don't have enough money to make the movie you want to make, you know, maybe make a different movie. I I don't know. But it it just it, it feels a little bit like the wrong consideration, although I'm firmly in the camp of the world is flat. Like I, I get the idea. I love seeing that kind of of collaboration, global collaboration. I just feel like I want it to be for the right reason. Yeah, not like being like in the Entourage movie, not being taken hostage by the weird Texan that owns your movie. So you have to make all of these weird people and put his daughter in the movie. No. Well, it's like the same thing that we mentioned about the Mardi Gras parade. I think if we feel concerned that big Hollywood is now changing content for the sensibilities of one group of people over another, I don't think it has to do with nationalism. I don't think it necessarily has to do with different markets. But the idea that you're making a movie for a different market and and it's potentially big Hollywood where we, for so many years, have gone to for what we are looking for in American entertainment, American culture. If we're losing that ability to connect with big Hollywood in that way, that might be disappointing for people in the industry. And I think that's fair. That's such a better way than what I said, that if we're beholden to financial forces, 
that will never be good for any artistic situation. Another way to look at that, though, is, you know, the fact that there might not have been, and I'm sure you guys would be happy, but there might not have been a Jack Reacher sequel if it wasn't for that international box office draw. I mean, it's like, I remember reading an article when they made a sequel to, uh, what is it, the the kid who's the son of uh, Poseidon, um, what's that? Oh, the Percy Jackson. Percy Jackson. Yeah. Everybody was surprised that they made a sequel to that, but the reason they did is because it did so well in some of the international markets that they were like, well, the money is there, let's go forward and make this sequel. And so, I, I don't know, I guess it's, I, I see what you're saying, and I, I it can be frustrating, but at the same time, it's like, if somebody's there and they want to get the movie made, I mean, it's like, you know, they're getting the movie made, and it's it still is based on the book, regardless of of whatever changes they might have had to make or additions they might have had to make for a different market. It's a it's a great point. That's a great point. Ultimately, the concept reminds us that this is a business in deference to art. And that might be just something hard to swallow. Uh, you know, we've blown through this list of things to talk about here. Do, do you guys, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on for sure before we uh, moved on to... Uh... <laughs> I have one. I have just one. We skipped talking about Henry Jackman's music. Okay. And I just want to ask you all... Uh, did you hear a memorable theme in this uh, in the score? Nope. It felt like filler to me. Okay. So now I want to uh, just read uh, the list of Henry Jackman's credits uh, briefly. So in addition to Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, uh, Captain America Civil War, oh. The Fifth Wave, Man in High Castle, Kingsman, The Secret Service, The Interview, Big Hero 6, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Captain Phillips, Kick-Ass 2. I mean, you know, it goes on. G.I. Joe Retaliation. I sort of feel like we may have found patient zero of the I write in- instrumental scores that have no theme trope. <laughs> see, I, see, I would like to see if there's actually a picture of him or if he's a robot. <laughs> I think this is like singularity stuff. And he's just a computer program that is like action scene with cars and a crowbar. Here is your movie. <laughs> Anyway, that's all I had to say. Fine music, I don't remember any of it. He is a protege of composer Hans Zimmer, it says. Yeah, he's out oh. of Hans's little, uh, uh, what's his music company called? Where he kind of cranks out all the musicians that all Zimmer feel time. the same. <laughs> Zimmer time. <laughs> is it not Zimmer time? It should be. It is not Zimmer time. Wesselton? But that's a, that's a nice try. No. Uh, but gotcha. he did write, listen to this, he did write, mix, and produce albums for Seal and Art of Noise. Come on. Yeah, he's British. I will say, I liked the music in Kingsman and Big Hero 6. I thought those two scores were I, You know what? That's a great point. Big Hero 6 in particular was lovely. Yeah, he has a huge filmography. I mean, 37 credits. So, And I think Captain Phillips, I mean, was solid as well. I, I couldn't sing you the theme, but I remember it being a part of the film. <laughs> Follow up next week. JJ now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if no one else has any other sundries to get to, I think we should rank it. Jack Reacher, never go back. Good call. Flick chart. <laughs> <laughs> don't care for the movie. When he doesn't like the, the movie, movie, it gets doesn't shorter get a good and shorter. Flick chart. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and, you know, everyone should check out Flick Chart. I, I know we usually talk about uh, the, the Flick Chart, uh, our, our rankings for the Mothership show, uh, but our specific Flick Chart is at www.flickchart.com slash TNR Film Board. Is that right? You got it. So that's where you can see our rankings. We're going to now rank 
Jack Reacher never go back against all of the film board films that we've done. So what's our first choice? Maybe not all of the movies. We'll do a good handful. Oh, that's true. That's true. It's going to show up in the rankings versus them all. But yeah. Yes, it will. Yes. All right. First up, we have Jack Reacher never go back or The Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. Was that the third one? That's the third one with Bane. Doesn't matter. Dark Dark Knight Rises. I have so many problems with Dark Knight Rises, but Me too. I probably would watch it first. Pete? Yeah, okay. Dark Knight Rises. Jack Reacher or Jack Ryan? Shadow oh, Recruit. Wow. Wow. Jack Ryan Shadow on, Monster. It's, yes. It's Jack something colon something versus Jack something colon something. It's Jack Reacher Money Never Sleeps versus Jack Ryan Shadow Monster. I would like Jack Ryan, please. I'll take Jack Reacher. I will take Ooh. Jack Ryan. I think I would say Jack Ryan. A really bad Russian accent. That was so bad. That Russian accent was so bad. He was so bad. Twirling his mustache. I I I think I would uh I think I'd yeah, I'd probably watch Jack Ryan. Oh, did I mention how much I missed Werner Herzog in this movie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, oh, we needed a bad guy like that. We did. That's what I wanted Robert, Robert Nepper. Nepper to be. Chewing yes, off he and totally fingers. could have done that. Oh, love it. Yeah. All right, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, or The Monuments Men. Oh. <laughs> Jack, oh, That's, wait. Now it's you're talking. Jack Reacher for me. Oh, Monuments no. Men Monuments me. Men. Wow, Tommy, it's all up to I you. I think Jack Reacher. <gasps> Thank you. Oh, I uh, did not care for The Monuments Men. That, that was, was like a film that should not have happened. Yep. <laughs> This one's for that you, was like a, a mistake. Yep. Jack Reacher, never go back. Or Child 44. <laughs> Child 44. Jack Reacher uh, for me. Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. <laughs> Child 44. Steve. Oh, I have to abstain because after I missed that film board and after that review, I wasn't going near Child 44. <laughs> I like to keep my children clothed. All right. Jack Reacher, never go back. Or Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne. Oh, yes. Jason Bourne. Jack Reacher. (laughs) (laughs) I I think I'll do Jason Bourne on this one. All right. That puts it at 42 out of 51 on our flick chart. Wow. Well, so it's right between Jason Bourne and Child 44. Child 44. That's an an uncomfortable place to live. (laughs) What a creepy apartment. I will tell you, I did my personal flick chart. Last night after watching the movie, and it rocketed to the bottom. It is at the wow. bottom of my flick chart, for sure. This wow. which Yes. Never, really? Never go back. It told me what to do. Never go back. Mm. All right. <laughs> I, I feel like I ended up in, in a weird, like, slightly guilty pleasure place for this one, because I, I kind of enjoyed it. I had a good time. I love that. Movie. That's yeah, totally fine. I mean, that's me in Jurassic World. It's it's yeah. I'm, it's very middle. Hey, I, that's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this, no this has a lot of problems, but I still Baby ended up enjoying this film at, at a two and a half out of five level. I mean, it's still, like, very middle middle ground for me, but, I you know, I it's is that, enjoyable enough. Is that your letterbox ranking? That's my letterbox. Okay, so let's do letterbox rankings. So uh, Andy's a two point five. Um, Pete, I'm also two point five. I agree with Andy. Wow. I I was really really frustrated by the editing, but man, I I forgive an awful lot because I like the character of Jack Reacher so much. So he he gets some points. All right, uh, Steve. Oh, I uh, I will go to two on this reluctantly. 
I was considering one and a half, but it, I, I could probably endure it a second viewing, so I'll give it a one star for each time. I'll probably watch it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tommy. Uh, 1.5, Mr. Zwick, you will never listen to this, but thank you so much for starting my Hollywood career. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to give it a hearty 0.5. That wow. I, d- wow. d- I, yeah, yeah, I literally, you know, I've heard you guys talk on the Mothership show about uh, whether a movie made you angry. This movie made me so angry. And every time <laughs> anyone in the audience laughed, I wanted to go and, uh, and expel them from the theater. <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! I thought it was JJ. If I can say uh, for you, for you feeling so strongly about this movie, you again have led a wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you very much, buddy. Oh, thanks. (laughs) I'm trying. Well, no, you have the ability to sort of lead an even keeled conversation. I'm trying not to corrupt the conversation with my negative feelings about it because (laughs) yeah, zero point five zero. I'm giving it a point five, but it's I it it's sincerely the worst film that you guys have invited me to see since we started this for me you're welcome wow i'm half expecting you to find some small neighbor child and pull a jake gyllenhaal and go and just demolish the movie theater to work out your grief (laughs) (laughs) well i will say that it has this film doing this in october has gotten me very excited about what we're doing next month and that's we're returning to the marvel cinematic universe With Benedict Cumberbatch, which I'm so happy I get to say his name, and Tilda Swinton, uh, just in a couple weeks with Doctor Strange. And I think, you know, when we were going about selecting films, we were doing our best, our darndest to kind of not do comic book movies. We were holding back, and I was trying to to do that as well. But, you know, I think after seeing this movie, I'm going to be so happy to go to some nice, tired Marvel tropes again. (laughs) That's so generous. So and it's excited. Good, it's good news for me because it seems like this will probably have the least amount of CGI. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. That was me dying inside. Yep, yep. I'll see you on the other end. Right, right. Uh, what is the current uh, series on uh, the next reel, the main show, guys? We are doing your Listener's Choice episode, Ooh. and uh, then we're going to be kicking off a Betty Davis series. Betty Davis. Oh, cool. That's fun. That's awesome. Uh, and that's through November, it sounds like. Is that right? Yes, something that like is that. Correct. And everybody should make sure to listen to Tommy's No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. Is there two no's or is there three, Tommy? Yes. No, 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 wait, hear me out. No, that's two. Yes. Uh, the- N-N-W-H-M-O. <laughs> N-N-W-H-M-O. H-M-O. <laughs> I'm shopping for one of those right now. The first one is available in feeds if you missed it when it was live. Uh, are, there any, are there any other interesting shorts coming up? Well, I mean, you guys just did one that, that I thought was delightful. On Odd Thomas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Speaking yes. of another book series I, I like so much, uh, you guys did a, a, acquitted yourselves quite well talking about uh, one of my now. I thought it was a guilty pleasure, but now I've discovered I don't have to feel guilty at all uh, with uh, Anton Yelchin and Odd Thomas. Way to go, guys. It is a good movie, Aww. and I think it's still on Netflix. Is that right, Steve? Is it still yeah, there? Yeah, it is still on Netflix, and as uh, JJ and I discussed, I think it makes a really good double feature with The Frighteners. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. I think that's a good one to pair oh, alongside fantastic. it. fantastic. And yeah. a nice Chianti. So, uh, yeah, so you guys got my rating, 0.5, so uh, I am going to swish and spit a little bit to clear myself of this uh, turd taste. <laughs> Classy. Uh, well, no, I bring up turd because uh, of turd sandwich. Do you guys know the reference when I say turd sandwich? South Park? The greatest South Park episode of all time. I just don't understand why every four years you people freak out over whether to vote for a giant douche or a turd sandwich. Because we're Americans? Because this is America? <laughs> well, it was in the rundown. I mean, I, I, it's, it's like stay classy, San Diego, right? 
Fantastic. <laughs> Take us home. Good night, Pete. Good night, JJ. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Andy. Ciao, baby. Nice work, Tommy. You complete me. I am JJ, and thank you all so very much for listening to our prattle tonight on the next Reels Film Board. Till next. And we're going to get a clear edit soon, and we're ramping down. Everyone is ready to get a final edit point. We all cool? Steve, you good? We're good with our final edit point? Andy? Okay, Andy, are you good with clearing out now? We're good? We're good with a nice edit point? Okay, Pete? 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 How you feeling? We're good? We're ramping down? We're good? All right, here we go. Nice work, Tommy. Tommy's good. We're ready to get a clean edit point, and the show has been great, and we're going to make America great again, and the show is over almost now, and five, and four, and three, and two. Pete, get ready, because we're almost done, and now is the time to click the button. We are done with the show. We all have lives to live. We've got to move on. Here we go. In five. In four. In three. Okay, I'll stop. And the end. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 